back on the Fan Morning Show, Sports at 590, the fan, your Monday morning. And if you're up early with us at 6 a.m. watching Team Canada, the Women's World Cup, their campaign has now ended with a 4-0 loss to Australia. Uh, they do not make it through with a 1-1-1 one, one, and one record. They needed a little bit of magic on the other side um, with Nigeria and Ireland, but they had a draw which was the worst case situation for Canada getting some tiebreaker help. And they have now, they're giving their final hugs out on the field right now. And uh, it's tough to watch because this team had pretty high expectations, at least to get through um, in a group, which was, you know, some people called the group of death, but nonetheless, they couldn't deliver in a pretty embarrassing final game against the host nation. Yeah, I would, uh, I'd like some names to be named. I want some blame handed out, okay? This is an Olympic champions team <laughs> less than two yep. years removed, and I understand the circumstances, and I want to be clear. I will not just be getting out darts and throwing shots at anybody, but those of you informed enough to do so, I want some names. I want some people called to the carpet. Whose fault was this? Because I seem to recall with Canada's World Cup, with the men's side, it was just mm. a lot of, that's very disappointing. Who? Yep. Who well, are you disappointed in? Canada Give me soccer a name. clearly hasn't put these players in a position for success. I mean, the players on the field could certainly have probably found a little bit more success, success themselves, but this has been a pretty bad for year sure. for Canada soccer with everything going on off the pitch. Not an excuse, but certainly a factor. Uh, Haley McGoldrick will join us a little later in the show to wrap it up. Um, she's our writer at sportsnet.ca, obviously was watching this game closely, uh, knows the uh, the things that might happen next, the trickle effect. Is it Sinclair? Is it Schmidt? Are those the last time we see them in a Canadian kit? Like These are the questions we're having now. It's unfortunate because I really hope that Canada would find a way through um, in, a, in a tournament that was highly anticipated, but they're three and out, and it's very tough to see. Um, while we wait for uh, Tim Kirchin to join us, um, we were teeing up tonight a big series against the Orioles. Mm -hmm. uh, they're in town. They are uh, leading the AL East, of course, but they've, piggy they've jumped over uh, the Rays. they got a big opportunity here for the Toronto Blue Jays, who are still within grasp. Like, they're five and a half games back, mm -hmm. I get it. But that is much better than, what, 21 games at one point? Felt totally. like the Baltimore Orioles just never lost. I mean, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. So if you can get a couple games this next four days, there is certainly an opportunity. I looked, and if you feel like you believe in this Jays team before even that trade deadline wraps up, so think about it right now. Like, they got Jordan Hicks. If they do something big in the next day or so, they're still plus 550 to win the AL East. Mm. Just things to keep I'm in mind. Not not going to follow you on that one, but it is, a, it is interesting. It is this, interesting. This, uh, I think the biggest thing that's going to help them in that regard is what Ben said, and it's mm -hmm. the Orioles' uh, skittishness potentially to push in too much, but we'll see what happens in that regard with them. they got a day and a half to figure it out. We have our guest. Oh, perfect. Uh, joining us now. Very, very happy to be joined by him. Always love hearing him on other platforms. Happy to welcome him onto ours. Tim Kirkjian joining us now. Tim, thanks so much for jumping on. How are you doing today? My pleasure. How are you? Uh, doing well, doing well. It's uh, we're we're uh, we can count down in hours now for <laughs> baseball in terms of the deadline. So it's always uh, an exciting time. And the Blue Jays made a pretty uncharacteristic trade for them. We'll we'll start with you there. Uh, the idea of Jordan Hicks, obviously, this is a pretty pure rental move. Hey, they can sign him if they want, but I I don't know that how much that's in the, in the cards. Uh, what, pardon the pun. What do you think <laughs> it, it does to the back end of this Blue Jays bullpen? And how much, if anything, do you think we should read into the health of Romano based on the aggressive nature of this move. 
Yeah, well, when Romano goes down with a back injury, that that's a bit of a red flag. I, I don't think it's serious, but with a with a pitcher that size and who's that good, and it's a back injury, I think you have to take precaution no matter what. And that's what Jordan Hicks brings. I mean, he struck out twelve point seven batters per nine innings this year. That's the highest rate of his career, significantly higher than last year. That's a really good sign. Now, again, he walks too many people, and he gets himself in trouble once in a while, but he's got tremendous stuff. He throws 100 miles an hour, and he is worth a try to rent for a couple months and try to get that back end of the bullpen stabilized. Um, So I thought it was a good move by the Blue Jays. I I don't think they're going to sign him long term, but they needed help, and they need it right now, given who's coming to town tonight. We're talking to Tim Kirchgen, uh, ESPN MLB analyst and our insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. So visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Yes, so this Orioles series, um, certainly the timing of this, the timing of Jordan Romano, it gives you um, a little bit of insight that maybe the Jays are not done adding um, at the trade deadline about 36 hours away. So if they start with Jordan Hicks, what moves do you think the Toronto could be making next? Well, I think they're always as is every other team looking for starting pitching help. I'm just not sure it's out there right now. I mean, I don't think they're going to go get Justin Verlander. I'm not sure he's going to move. It looks like Marcus Stroman is going to stay with the Cubs. So I think the best thing the Blue Jays can do is add more to the bullpen. There are always relief pitchers available. There are power arms everywhere. I expect them to do one more thing before the deadline, but I don't see anything major But what has to happen, obviously, is that Alec Manoa has to return to form. And as you guys know better than anyone, he's been a little up and down since he came back from the minor league. Injin Ryu starts tomorrow night, and that guy knows how to pitch as well as anyone in baseball. But he's coming back after a tremendously long absence. And to ask him to be really good the moment he arrives, I think, is asking a lot. But those two guys need to be good down the stretch and in October if the Blue Jays plan on doing anything. So that that's why I don't think they're going to go make a major move for a starting pitcher. They're going to hope that Manoa and Ryu come back and do and are productive pitchers. Yeah, if, if either of those guys find anything close to the form the last time we quote-unquote saw them, and I don't mean the version of Manoa we've seen, but last year's version or Ryu prior to the injury, it is a big game-changer for this team, you know, much more so than any other starter would be on the market. Um, not not talking specifically just about the Blue Jays here, but in terms of the market for bats, you mentioned Stroman going to stay put with the Cubs. I'd imagine Bellinger do, does the same thing there. What is the market like for, for a team looking for even somewhat of an impact bat right now because it seems to me like you said at this time of year you can always find an arm in the pen starters may be a little easier but it really doesn't seem like there are too many great great options uh if you're looking for bats those seem to be uh withering away pretty quickly yeah i definitely agree i just don't see a premier hitter changing teams between now and 6 p.m tomorrow I mean, we're talking about Randall Grichuk and C.J. Crone going to the Angels. That's that's the kind of guy you're going to get at this time. That doesn't mean they can't help you. They can, but they're not difference makers, especially for a team like the Blue Jays. So I don't see I don't see a really good hitter that some team surprisingly is going to move at the last second. So uh, the Blue Jays' offense should is should be really good. Some days it's not. 
It's going to get better from here, but I don't think Blue Jay fans should expect to add somebody that's going to change the look of their lineup. So maybe not a premier name, but Tommy Pham has been thrown out there quite a lot, um, circulated with the Blue Jays and many many other teams um, because he is one of the best available, whether that's high caliber or um, pushes you over the edge or not. But do you think the Blue Jays could be or should be interested in adding someone like Tommy Pham if it is an affordable price? Sure. Tommy Pham, Mark Canna of the Mets, both of them are available. Both are you know, above average major league players, Tommy Pham, the last time I saw the Mets not long ago, he was their most productive hitter for about a two-month span. So, yes, and a free agent at the end of the year. So, so is Canna. So, you, you only have to rent him for two months. There's no price tag there. That's the type that's still out there. Again, they're not difference makers, but they're useful players. So this is a this is an odd question to ask you, but I feel you know having heard you talk about baseball long enough in my life, I think you're you're okay with an odd question every every now and again. And the best thing about this question is the answer can change every two weeks. If I just ask you, not who the best reliever in baseball is, Tim, but who has the best pitch or the best stuff that makes you just go, oh my god! I mean, we see the pitching ninja gifts every day. The Jays have got one of these guys in Jordan Hicks, but maybe it's Duran or the Twins. Maybe for me, it's Classe. That's the guy who every time I see him, I'm just blown away by him. If I ask you from, you know, kind of a strictly reliever realm, who has the nastiest stuff in baseball? Who is it? And are you with me that that answer, because the position's so finicky, can kind of change every couple of weeks? Yeah, I think it changes almost every day. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to go. I'm going to go today with Felix Bautista of the Orioles, who is averaging two strikeouts per inning this season. He's he's about seven feet tall. He's as big as a doorway. He throws 102 miles an hour. He has secondary pitches to go with it. He is terrifying looking on the mound because he's so big and he throws so hard and he's been so effective. Uh, that Duran guy with the Twins literally scares me when I watch him <laughs> pitch because he throws so hard. I did one of their games earlier this year from the booth, and we're right on top of home plate. And I swear, I, I don't know how a couple guys got out of the way of 104 miles now, but I'll take Bautista for now because he's pitching. He will probably pitch uh, tonight, certainly in this series against the Blue Jays. Uh, it's funny you mentioned the the uh, right behind the plate perspective there because that's why I threw Klasse in. I was lucky <laughs> enough to be working a, uh, a Guardians-Jays series last year when he was in town. And it's just when you have that view right over top of the plate, it really does kind of put it all, all in perspective. Uh, speaking of Batista's team, and you're right, he is terrifying. Anytime you look at a guy and his height starts with a two in meters, generally <laughs> speaking, a terrifying uh, proposition. In terms of that team, how aggressive do you expect them to be and how aggressive should they be? I mean, they can slow play this thing out. They have all the prospects in the world. They are not on a clock of any time. This isn't guys who are ready to leave, but you know, when you look at baseball, things can go in an instant, specifically bullpens. How much do you think they should kind of try to strike while the iron's hot versus holding on to their prospect capital for maybe, you know, when these guys are a year or two more seasoned, the, the guys that are in the big leagues now. Yeah, the way it's been explained to me, this is going to be a measured approach by the Orioles. The Orioles are really good and really talented, and their starting pitching is better than people think it is. But Tyler Wells was supposed to be, and he's got great stuff, but they sent him to double-A yesterday because he struggled so badly. 
And I think they need a veteran major league starting pitcher to stabilize that rotation and be able to start game one on the road, say, in a playoff series and have complete faith this guy's going to get it done. Justin Berlander is that guy. But I just can't see with all the money tied up in Berlander's contract uh, that the Orioles would go that way. Plus, the Orioles are still in a player developmental mode here, and they're just not going to trade their best prospects, even though they have more prospects than anyone. So I think it's, I think they'll go get another starting pitcher. I just don't think he's going to be a difference maker either. I think he's going to be a two, a three or a four, and they have plenty of those. So I wouldn't expect the Orioles to make a major splash in part because there's just not that much quality pitching left. Talking to Tim Kirkjian of ESPN. Um, okay, if we keep the AL East conversation going here, um, the Yankees are in kind of a decision-making point. Uh, maybe this franchise isn't always uh, excited to be sellers, but they have been a disappointment this season. How do you think the Yankees approach tomorrow or today and tomorrow in terms of if they add, if they just add at the fringes or they decide that maybe they weren't the team that Destiny had written for them? Yeah, they if they're going to get back and make the playoffs, and they're certainly in a position to do that. They're going to have I think they're going to have to do something dramatic at the break. I mean at the deadline. They're going to have to go get an everyday left fielder. They're going to have to go get Cody Bellinger, who would be perfect for them because he can th- play all three outfield spots, but they're not going to get him because the Cubs are not going to let him go and they shouldn't let him go. So now they have to look for an impact player to play the outfield on an everyday basis. And as we've already said on this show, I just don't see that guy (laughs) out there right now. So that's why the Yankees, I believe, are in some trouble. I mean, they gave up six runs last night before they even got an out. They struck out 18 times. Just look at that Yankee lineup, especially when Aaron Judge is not in there. Um, That's not a lineup of a playoff team. So they've really really have a lot of work to do here. They need a big-time bat, and they need a front-line starting pitcher. And again, I'm just not sure there's enough out there for the Yankees to make a major move. I know they struck out 18 times, but Aaron Boone said other than that, he thought the offense was fine. Uh, he did say that last <laughs> night. So a uh, bit of a tough spin uh, from Boone. Maybe he's buying it. I, I certainly am not. Just looking at the ALEs with the Yankees in the position they're in, with the Red Sox in the position they're in, you know, I think this has changed, right? If we're going to look at who's really been the bullies of the ALEs for the past half decade, if not longer, it's been the Rays. But how much do you think teams like the Orioles or the Blue Jays, for that matter, have to look at kind of striking well those teams are down because you know we see with the Mets that just going out and buying a team doesn't work every year but I also think we don't expect the Red Sox and Yankees to be the fourth and fifth best teams in the division for uh, you know the the long future going forward how much do you think it's important for teams like the Jays Orioles or I guess less so the Rays because they've been able to do it to strike while the the Red Sox and Yankees are kind of in the the swoon they are for for lack of a better term Yeah, this is the time for the Blue Jays to make a move because the Rays have really struggled in the month of July. I do not anticipate that continuing, but when they're down a little bit, you have to jump them. And the Orioles are really good right now. But again, is can they sustain this kind of greatness for the next two months and then be a really good team in, in October? I think they can, but now's the time for the Blue Jays to say, all right, we got to go, we got to go now, because that window is going to close there at some point. I don't think it's close to closing right now, but they, they got to get 
they really got to go right now because they can still win the division, even though I think the Orioles are the best team. But the, the Blue Jays are right there to make the playoffs, even in the division or as a wild card. And when you have a chance to make the playoffs in baseball, you have to go for it because, as we've seen so many times, anything can happen in October. Speaking of having to go for it, uh, the Angels decided that we're going to keep Shohei and we're going to add, 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 and we're going to maybe go through our farm system a little bit uh, and not worry about it until the future. Um, I think there's an excitement level around the Angels making that decision and trying to push the chips in the middle. Uh, Do you think they'll have enough to do this? And if they don't convince Shohei Otani to stay after all this, ooh, how big of a disappointment would all of this uh, happen to be for Angels and Angels fans? Yeah, listen, we trash teams for not going for it. I, yes, I'm just Tim. not sure yes, it's fair yes. to trash. I, I don't think it's fair to trash a team for going for mm. it, and that's what that's what the Angels are doing here. They're trying to keep Shohei Otani, and the only way to do that is to win and to make the playoffs and show him, look, we're trying to improve. We need you with him. I still think – there is an outside chance, despite their ridiculously hard schedule, that they can make the playoffs. Outside chance. The danger is with this, they just traded two top prospects <clears throat> to get Lucas Giolito. They traded more prospects to get Randall Gritchick and C.J. Crone. And now, if they don't make the playoffs, and now they've you know, dis, you know dismantled uh, to, to a degree the farm system, which wasn't very strong in the first place, and then they lose Giolito to free agency. They lose Otani to free agency. Now they're in a terrible spot for next year. But I understand what they're doing. They have Shohei Otani for two more months. He's the most remarkable player anyone's ever seen. They have to try to win with him while he's on their team. I understand it, but boy, this is a risky move. Yeah, the idea of going in for guys who are here for a year is an interesting one. I thought maybe you'd look at the approach, you know, again, to bring it back to the Blue Jays, a Whit Merrifield-type move that could help them for this year and and one more. Uh, Last one for me before we let you go, Tim. I should probably mention at least one team in the National League. It's entirely possible they might win the World Series. Uh, The Atlanta Braves, just kind of wagon. You know, I'm not going to tell you that it's slipping under your radar, but do you think this team is getting uh, as much respect as it deserves? Because, you know, here we are so bogged down in the AL East race in the wild card and I think there's going to be a lot of people waking up in in September once the deadline's here and uh, everything's more set and say the the Braves record is what this year it's uh, been a remarkable season they put together yeah they're the best team in baseball period they have the best offense in baseball period and they <clears throat> their starting pitching is going to get a whole lot better starting this week when Max Freed rejoins their rotation and then in about two to three weeks Kyle Wright who won 20 games last year is going to rejoin the rotation to join you know Spencer Strider and others they are completely loaded they needed some bullpen help and I still think they need bullpen help but Alex Anthopoulos went and got three relievers last week when they needed some help and yesterday picked up Nicky Lopez from the from the Royals just to have a backup infielder. So they're going to tinker, but they're so good right now, they don't have to make a major move at the deadline. They're going to be the best team in baseball entering October. It's a good spot to be in, and uh, Alex Anthopoulos knows it well. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for jumping on with us today. Really, really appreciate the time. 
My pleasure. Thank you. There he goes, Tim Kirkchin with ESPN. That insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Somehow Blue Jays minus 145 on the money line tonight against one of the best teams in baseball. Yeah, and one of the pitcher, most hot. you got the hound dog on the mound. You got the That's hound why. dog uh, versus Kyle Gibson tonight. That's 7 p.m. first pitch. Uh, Blue Jays open a four-game series at the Rogers Center against the Orioles, and then they head to Boston to play the Red Sox, so you can... You know, you can never count out because Blue Jays cannot win in Boston. <laughs> so very, very important stretch of baseball ahead. We're about 30-something hours to the trade deadline, and we've been taking your thoughts at 595-90. Uh, what you want the Blue Jays to add when you come on Wednesday morning after the trade deadline's all said and done, what are you hoping for? Uh, Mike from Aston Boya says, Vladdy and Bo to the Red Sox for Chris Sale. Go Sox. I think that might be a mismatch. Yeah, I think so, too. It's almost like a guy who cheers for the Red Sox would like that it might trade. Be, yeah. Mike, it might be a, a Sox fan. Uh, hypothetically, Varsho Manoa for, Manoa for Soto and Snell rental, yay or nay? Connor and Keswick again, big texter this morning. I mean, yeah, I Manoa's mean, an interesting one because, no, like... Oh, come on. No, but I mean, like, I wonder how... I don't. He's not going to okay. move, but okay. this season has been so up and down for Alec Manoa but you just know that I, I believe in an offseason. Alec Winnow comes mm. in and he's totally back to normal. But I'm, he might be a guy. Like, what if he has yeah, to Yeah, I would go do that bullpen? trade just for the record. Yeah. I would do that trade. Juan Soto? Yeah. And Blake Snell? Yeah, I think Get so. another year of him? Yeah. Dave in Collingwood says, the need for this team has been the, since, the same since opening day, a true cleanup hitter. Yeah. You know, there was a guy, his good buds with Vlad, plays in Seattle now. I think they I had him. this is. They had him. And they don't anymore. It's it's just, it's remarkable. They, this is always what happens, right? It's like, it is like anything in your life. You try to, you know, you're somebody like me who eats crap all the time. And you're mm. like, I got to get healthy. And then you have one day of that. And you're like, I can't go on like this. I can't just eat steamed vegetables. Right? It's like, there has to be a middle ground. The pendulum swung too far the other way mm. where they were like, we need speed. We need versatility. True. You know what else you need? So Runs. good. A guy who hits 40 bombs. Just what, like, I would like to see that. Personally, me, in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they grow on trees, but you didn't have to hope for one to grow on a tree. You had one. His name was Teoscar Hernandez. I was listening to Blair and Barker postgame um, yesterday um, when the trade was announced, and they had a caller on. I forget the caller's name, so I apologize. But they brought up the fact that there will be no 30 home run players on the Blue Jays this year. Nuts. That is crazy. And disappointing. I yeah. mean, that if you looked at the lineup on day one, you thought there's a couple. I think we did pre-season predictions, Justin and I, and we certainly had more people hitting 30 home runs than we're going to see. I'm trying to think. I'm remembering. Uh, I, I remember. I feel like, yeah, we were talking about 50 for Vlad. Like, is that in play? Yeah, where it was like, can he get 55? False. Could he get? <laughs> yeah. He cannot. Oof. Um, not not great in terms of the offense, but there's a big weekend, a big week ahead for the Blue Jays to now, get I don't, hot. I don't want to interrupt your flow on the text mm. line. If you've got anything else, we should definitely get to it. But you did you see the breaking news our man Daniele passed along to us? Yes. Sophie Schmidt yeah. retiring from the Canadian Women's National Team. Uh, played her final game. She goes with since Christine Sinclair. Obviously, Christine Sinclair can make her announcement yeah. if she does in her own time. But mentioning that it's their last game together, quote, I hope we left the football landscape in Canada better than when we found it. Big history with Sophie Schmidt on this team. Uh, of course, Christine Sinclair, one of the most well-known soccer players in the world in terms of the women's game and, and even internationally with the men as well. So we'll have big questions that will 
have to think about now that Canada's out of the World Cup after three games. A big, big, big sad loss to Australia while we were on the air for nothing. Um, a lot to ponder and how Canada soccer got to this point after winning the gold medal at the Olympics and being eliminated in the first round. Why can't they make it a consistent effort? Um, a lot of questions about how Canada soccer, the federation might have failed this team. Haley McGoldrick will join us after the break. A writer at sportsnet.ca will go through Canada's loss, Canada's tournament, and Canada's future. Then we'll do a wake and rake to wrap up the show. You can send those picks in at 590-590. All that's on the final half hour on the Fan Morning Show with Gunner and Ailish. Unrivaled insight, analysis, and opinions on all things Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on the Fan Morning Show, sports at 590, the fan, final half hour, time to wrap up Canada's tournament at the FIFA World Cup. Woof. One, one, and one. They needed a win or a draw today to make it to the round of um, 16. Unfortunately, they got the worst circumstances, which was a loss and a draw in Nigeria and Ireland, which was the only hope they would have had for a little tiebreak action. And nonetheless, they are flying home. And as Justin Cuthbert tweeted out, and I'll steal his joke, mm. probably commercial. Yeah, probably. We uh, Regular know, class. We know the goings on of, uh, yeah. of Canada soccer. Do we think we can get Cincy a bulkhead seat, though? Probably not. That's my move. I it's... need the, you know, I got the long, long legs. I need to stretch them out a little. Too expensive. Get Cincy. Commercial flights. At home. least Cincy gets that. Okay, to start the post what is it, post- post-mortem? Mortem. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess we're at that point. Uh, yep. Kaylee McGoldrick joins us, writer at sportsnet.ca. We talked before the tournament. We were full of excitement and joy and anticipation, and now we talk at the end of the tournament for Team Canada. Uh, how did they get here? Oh, it's just really sad to watch, honestly, because it's a culmination of so many things. And a lot of it is, obviously, the Canada soccer business looming over everything mm-hmm. because this team only had four friendlies before coming here three of them they were pretty much forced into because the federation said they were going to sue them if they didn't play they didn't get a send-off game like many other teams did and they had that looming the entire time as much as they came to a tentative deal that's obviously physically and mentally of course mostly mental but physically as well exhausting to deal with and then of course you have the tactics the formations the selections that were all somewhat iffy sometimes you thought why isn't Evelyn Vienne starting? Why isn't Chloe LaCasse starting? Things like that. And just in that Australia game, it was sad to watch because you looked at that Ireland game and it looked like they'd kind of figured it out. Nigeria game, there was no attack, didn't know what they were doing, looked really lost out there without Jesse Fleming. You come into the Ireland game, it wasn't even Jesse Fleming who was the difference. It was Sophie Schmidt off the bench. We found a bit of that attack. Alice, your close personal friend, Adriana Leon, with that game winner. <laughs> and then today, it just looked like there was nothing. They didn't even have a shot on target in the first half. They really struggled to beat that defensive block, which they've struggled with all tournament. They couldn't break down the defense. And also just letting Australia run all over them. And they didn't even have Sam Kerr. And that was the big thing. Oh, Sam Kerr might be playing. They didn't even need Sam Kerr. Haley Rosso ran all over them. Steph Catley from the spot has been automatic in both Australia's game against Ireland and Canada and it was just it was just really sad to watch because it looked like they just had no fight 
in them. And it's hard to see from not only, yes, Olympic champions, which is in the whole thing, but just a team that you know has the depth and talent. It looked like they didn't really have either out there today. Yeah, it's funny you you mentioned Sam Kerr. Like, we're watching the game. We've got it up while we're doing it, and it felt like she was like the shark in Jaws. It's like they just kept giving you a glimpse of her on the broadcast. Like, at any moment, if this gets close, uh, she's she's lurking and, and, and waiting. You know, in terms of uh, the, the problems facing the Federation, let's face it, you know, I, I'm sure you've been asked this question. I'm sure you've attempted to answer it many times, and the reason I say attempt is because there isn't a simple one. But if a Federation that has the greatest player in its history in Christine Sinclair and forget its history like among the game's greatest if it is Olympic champs less than two years removed and we still can't figure it out what is the roadmap for straightening out Canada soccer and I know this is an issue that has been echoed on the men's side as well and they don't even have the success that the women's team has shown to to back it up I mean if we can't fix this for Olympic champs and for one of the true greats of the game how does this get fixed going forward No, you're absolutely right. And it's hard because there is no clear answer because it feels like it's this cycle of there's not the support needed and there's a crumbling youth system. So we're not getting the same talent coming up through Canada, but then you're not getting the results. And then in the Federation's eyes and things like that, they think, well, we're not going to give you all this money if you're not getting the results. If you haven't had your best performance at a World Cup since 2003, 20 years ago. And it's just this vicious cycle that it feels like Canada is stuck in and I think obviously the answer seems simple just pay them but I I know that it doesn't just work like that and then they look at this result and say well you won one game 2-1 you drew another and you lost another and so that's not good enough to be able to be demanding all these things and they're not demanding a lot they're just demanding equity and being paid what they deserve to be one of the best teams and it's just really again it is sad to see because there's no it seems like there's no way out of it because it's just a vicious cycle and it's something that this team has been dealing with since their inception the original canadian women's soccer team didn't play for two years because they didn't qualify for a world world cup and the federation said well we don't really see anything worth investing because you didn't qualify for a world cup and so not having that preparation has bit them once again and now it just is stuck in this cycle of well is that olympic success going to be the peak of what this program is and i know that's not true and there is so much talent in the youth olivia smith made her world cup debut today and she had a good showing and there's a lot of young players who are going to come up and replace christine sinclair's and the sophie schmitz of the world but people just look at results and think okay well you didn't perform at a world cup so you're not deserving of it, which is just harsh and unfair. Before we ask about the big questions of if this was individuals' last appearances uh, for Team Canada, let's go through the game that they needed to win and uh, did the complete opposite. Uh, Steamrolled by Australia, who also needed to win that host nation. Um, It seems like each of the three games, slow starts were a major problem for Canada. Like the right lineup seemed to elude them. Whether the decision-making from the coach um, in the trickle effect downwards just didn't seem to click. Um, Why the slow starts getting down another um, early uh, loss here to Australia? And obviously we saw their comeback and their one win. But were the lineups part of the major collapse of Canada? Oh, absolutely. We've seen it since the game in Nigeria. They needed some sort of attack. They needed some sort of energy and threatening presence in the front. And it seemed like the selections didn't have that. And then you're hoping for something off the bench. It worked against Ireland when Sophie Schmidt came off the bench and she wasn't afraid of challenges and getting in there. And she's the one who assisted that Adriana Leon goal. But 
today there was just absolutely nothing. And even defensively, it looks like they were just lacking the energy and that tenacity as well and just letting Australia walk right through them. And so that's definitely on the lineups and the tactics as well because you have the same players who are starting every single game. You really have nothing to lose at this point. It's a do-or-die game. Why not change the lineup? Why not change the formations? Because if you lose this game, you're going home, which is, like you said, exactly what happened. It wasn't even a close loss. It was a little bit pathetic to watch because it just looked like they had no energy. They were lifeless out there. And that's not what we know of this Canadian soccer team. We know what they're capable of. And so the fact that there's some players, like I said, like a Chloe Lacasse, who she had an incredible season at Benfica, 35 golden assists combined. She was player of the year in Portugal. Why not let her start? What what do you have to lose at this point? Genuinely nothing. And they lost anyway. So I think that that's a big thing too. And yes, there are some players who might not be around next World Cup, so it'll have to be different. And I get maybe because this might have been their last game, it was an ode to starting players and whatnot. But when it's a do-or-die game, you can't have that sentiment or trying to go with what you know. You might as well change it up because nothing else has worked this far. Ugh, so we're watching the game um, live, but on mute. <laughs> so we, because, uh, you know, we kind of have to talk on the radio and focus. Uh, but it seemed like there was a lot of VAR, a lot of weird calls, um, something that looked offside that wasn't offside. Um, obviously, the, this score being 4 nothing um, shows pretty much how it was. But was it officiated well? Were there any calls that maybe Canada could have got differently that might have changed the outcome or simply just outplayed and the way soccer goes? I think it is a little bit like obviously getting that penalty kick there at the end is just kind of like a kick in the butt. Like yeah, you're already down, three, <laughs> yeah, you're already down three nil, and now you're going to be down four nil in a game that you're already losing. It's injury time, like things like that. But I think in any kind of game, there are going to be real, weird calls, and women's soccer especially is so physical. They play so tough, and sometimes you just kind of want to let them play. Like there was one point where I think Alicia Chapman hit somebody, and she was she ran into her and Alicia Chapman, you could like see her mouth being like, she jumped into me. Like that's just kind of the way that women's soccer are super physical. And some of the calls are just like a, let them play and b that's not really a foul. It's an incident of what happens when you play tough in the game. But at the end of the day, even if some of those calls, I think had one Canada's way, there was just no energy from them. Even if they weren't getting, even if, sorry, if they did get the calls, it, it doesn't change the fact that they didn't have what it took to really win that, game regardless so yes there were a few calls that definitely could have swung the other way because what even were they like you said but I don't think it would change the outcome of the game just because of what Canada really lacked bringing into this game so I know we've kind of talked about this throughout the entirety of this interview Haley but if you could just kind of put a little bit of a finer point on it for for me I mean I don't want to sit here and do a kind of blame pie who's at 20 percent who's at what this percentage but how much can you kind of, and again, take the players off the hook is far too strong of a term, but given all of the problems going on behind the scenes with Canada soccer, like how much is this, the players and the coach and the tactics versus all of the headaches that led to it? Like, is there a reason to believe that a team with better tactics or a team with better players could have overcome all of the problems that they've had with the Federation? Or do you think that the problems with the Federation are kind of kneecapping for just about any group? I think if I did have to make a blame pie, it kind of is a bit about 50-50 because having to deal with something as traumatic and long drawn out and just fighting for what you deserve, like I said, is so mentally and also even physically exhausting. But at the end of the day, it does fall onto the players. 
on the pitch because as much as they're dealing with that and they didn't have the preparation that other countries got, they're still world-class players. They're still players who a lot of them play in the NWSL, but they have experience in Europe. They're really talented, and you have what it takes to be able to win against pretty much everybody. We've seen them beat the likes of the United States, who are one of the clear favorites looking now, especially into the round of 16. But the same with the coach. You're the one who's putting that lineup out onto the field, and you're the one making those substitutions. So I like Bev, but I think that she could have made so many smarter decisions when it came to this team because there were just some players who weren't bringing the energy, and they continued to get those starting positions, and they weren't bringing the attack that was needed. And so... Yes, it's very exhausting to have to deal with something like the Canadian women's soccer team has with Canada soccer. But when you're up there, when you're NWSL champions, when you're European champions, you have what it takes to be able to win a game. And out there, it looked like they just had no chemistry, no energy, nothing. And they have to take a bit of the blame for that because at the end of the day, that's the product that they put onto the field when they needed to win a game and it looked like they didn't even want to be there. Talking to Haley McGoldrick, uh, writer at sportsend.ca, been covering the Women's World Cup, um, and Canada's campaign has come to an end, and so has Sophie Schmidt's career with the Canadian Women's National Team, saying that uh, we'll be retiring and playing her final game there. Um, that came out uh, just as we were getting the final uh, post-game interview. So Sophie Schmidt, I believe that was her 224th cap in a Canada shirt. Um, obviously, the main question is going to be like her legacy on this, and she said she hopes that she left the game football in a better place in Canada and she certainly did um, Sophie Schmidt being uh, on her way out what, what does that do to the the team the dynamic the leadership of Canada soccer it's huge to lose a player like Sophie Schmidt as we'd said before she was the difference in that Ireland game she came on she wasn't afraid of anything she assisted that goal she was the reason that there was some sort of attack and energy in that game because they lacked it against Nigeria as well. But she's just been part of this whole journey from Canada not really being a women's soccer country. They were a little bit, they were up there, but it was always living in the United States shadow. And then you go to the London 2012 Olympics and you win bronze. And then you go to Rio and you win bronze again, which at this point is not good enough, which is crazy because so many countries would kill to be on that podium. And now Canada soccer has become such a reputable program that they're not happy winning bronze. And then you're an Olympic champion in Tokyo and coming into this. And obviously this is a sad exit, not only because they didn't progress to the knockouts, which is the way they went out as well, but she's not only such a leader and been through so much through this program, but what she brings onto the pitch as well, that veteran presence on the pitch and not being afraid of anything in that energy and intensity, because it seems like Canada had lacked a lot of that, especially in this world cup. They didn't really have anything going for them on the offensively, it seemed so it's huge to lose her and she does definitely leave a legacy and we obviously talk about Christine Sinclair so much for good reason but a player like Sophie Schmidt deserves her flowers as well because she's been such a huge part of this program yeah maybe not the uh, the worst idea on her part to get ahead of that news because if Christine uh, says what we think she might say then uh, it could get dwarfed a little bit and it shouldn't be the case uh, at all Haley really really appreciated the chat and uh, you know I know we all would have liked it to have had a little bit of a different tenor but really appreciated uh, you jumping on with us this morning of course, thanks so much for having me. There she goes, Haley McGoldrick, writer, Sportsnet.ca. 
So Sophie Name Schmidt. dropper of personal friends yeah. of you. Yeah, well, Adriana Leon and I yeah. played hockey back in the day, and she made a tough decision, which at the time felt like a tough decision to see if I she would be right one. a hockey player or a soccer player. And as we saw, she scored a big goal for Canada um, this tournament. But that is the end of this run for Canada at the FIFA World Cup. Sophie Schmidt's announcement, she's retiring. But, I mean, what? I don't know what else Christine Sinclair has to accomplish at this yeah, point nothing. when you think of like the FIFA World Cup, the next one isn't mm-hmm. around the corner, right? So, you know, you got Olympic gold, you've represented this country forever, and you are one of the best players to ever do it. I just, I feel like that would be a decision that you might have thought about results-based. Like if this tournament went really well and you felt like you're riding a high momentum, is there some more left to give? But questions about her age, questions about like how long she can be a key contributor to this team. That started to circle what we talked about Canada's performance. And now it's a devastating loss. It's kind of an embarrassing way to wrap up your tournament. And she's got a lot to think about. Well, we, uh, we have uh, just a touch more insight there. Uh, Christine Sinclair took some blades of grass before leaving the pitch. (gasps) The captain said, it's the end of the world cup and I'm probably not going to play in another one. I'm leaving the pitch one last time in a World Cup. So that's uh, not goodbye forever. It's going to be Sinclair plane watch, yeah. like Kawhi. Yeah, it will be. Uh, I, you know, I, I can see two schools of thought with her, right? You could see one if she's accomplished everything. What's the point? You played in the World Cup. Get out of here. Go enjoy your life. But I can also see a world where she wants to be, and I don't mean turn around. She's mm-hmm. literally won Olympic gold with this team. We just went through the resume, but the turnaround of the federation and the idea of making it feel safe for yep. more, you know, structured or however you want to look at it. So yeah, I think that's uh, that's pretty interesting. And that quote coming from uh, Claire Hanna, who spoke with uh, Sinclair on the pitch. Yeah, there. taking the grass. I mean, I, t- I totally understand the next FIFA World Cups in 2027. Like that's a long ways away, right? So. I believe. Is that right, math? Yeah. You tell me. Yeah. I, don't, I do not do math. I think that's correct. McKee comes on here every day do and is math. like, oh, I did Puck Doku. And I'm like, I looked at it for four seconds. So I don't, I, I don't do saying, thinking. Gunner, I, I don't do extra it. thinking. And I'm like, I don't know any of this off. I used to like Wordle because at least you got more like tries. Yeah. You mess up once, so you're I, done. So he asked me if I did Wordle and I basically told I just did Wheel of Fortune where I didn't try to spell any words. You're I just, just putting like, letters R-S-T-L-N-E, in. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, we got something to work with. Oh, now God. I can move on. Yeah, I gave up I don't on that do, long time I'm in this. I'm in this business for a reason. And it's not because I wanted to do extra thinking. Yeah, there you go. Uh, well, it'll be Christine Sinclair watch to see how this goes. I remember when um, Serena Williams retired, how big of a ripple effect that felt for tennis. This will feel like a big ripple effect for Canadian soccer for sure. Uh, Did she for real retire? I, why do I have why do I have images of Serena coming back to play? Did that um, happen? Did that not happen? I could I could be totally off base on this. I think she left it like maybe oh, I will come back one so day. So she did a she did a Christine Sinclair of like I'm retiring here. She certainly oh this is how she said it. Remember I've never liked the word retirement. Oh, That's okay. how she put it. Cool. But she's not okay. retired, but she's not playing tennis. Okay. She's having a baby. Um, Good for her. Anywho, we'll have Good lots luck. of time to talk about what's next for Canada soccer um, in the coming days. Uh, let's finish our show though with the wake and rake. All right. My rule of thumb is if you're going to the baseball game, you're betting on the home team. Mm. So I'm headed down to the ballpark to see the Blue Jays start a four-game series against the Orioles at 7 p.m. can catch that on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590. The fan, of course, streaming on .ca as well. And on the app, it, it is Kyle Gibson versus Chris Bassett. And a hell of a lot of offense mm-hmm. on this Orioles team. But we did talk about how powerful the closers and relievers are 
on both these teams, and maybe we see Jordan Hicks make his debut. Maybe. So I'm going to go first five innings over. I think that they could get out to a pretty hot start. I don't know if you saw the Baltimore Orioles went up 7 nothing against the Yankees last night in the first inning. I could see a little bit of offense happening, getting ahead early, um, but then maybe closing it out. So over 4.5 in the first five innings of Orioles and Blue Jays will be my pick. I like that. I like that. I am also going to the diamond because, you know, it's kind what of else is what there? we got right now. <laughs> uh, in terms of where I'm going, I'm going to stay in the AL East. Give me the under. It's at eight and a half. You can get that at minus 110 between the Rays and Yankees today. Uh, Aaron Boone's team struck out 18 times <laughs> yesterday, and he's still proud of them. So that should let you know where God. the offense is at there. And it's uh, the cheater, Domingo Herman and Tyler Glasnow Ooh. on the bump. So I uh, I like the under there. Just give it to me. Uh, we don't need to do five innings. Just the whole game, eight and a half is the under, minus 110. Okay, we got three picks here to go through in the text line. Uh, Courier Chris in Burlington today says, Morning, Alicia and Brent. I'm going with George Springer over one and a half bases. This is time for a bounce back. Brazen. Corey from Port Hope says, for my wake and rake pick today, I like the over four and a half runs in the first five innings of the Jays and Orioles game. That's me too. I think both teams will put up some runs early with Bassett and Gibson on the mound. We're sharing a brain. Corey from Port Hope. And Brandon from Whippy says, Yankees plus 110 at home. You. So we can either do Yankees plus 110 at home or George Springer over base. Yeah, you know what? I got way more faith in George Springer bouncing back I than like I do this that. Yankees team. I think we need to try to will it yeah, to happen. Exactly. Like you nobody's gotta... betting on George Springer. And right again, now. like when in doubt, bet something you want to see. Does anyone want to? I know it's the Rays and it would help you in the stand, but nobody wants to see the Yankees winning. It's mm. just no fun for anybody, even Aaron Boone. So, yeah, I so think we nailed it. So let's bet on George Springer. Let's do it. He hasn't had a hit in seven games. Do. Um, there's more bad stats. I don't need but to he's read due. them all. Yep. That's that's the that's the only stat you need regarding this wake and rake is that he's due. He's 0 for 27. The duo meter is like wah, 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 wah. 0 for 27. Yeah. You know what? My favorite number in my hockey number has always been 27. Really? So I think this is where it gets turned around. Okay. It's time for George Springer to hit over it's one and a half It's very funny. Bases. I was always a 16 guy, which oh, is I, very... I, mean, I like that number too. Do but you? Okay. Yeah, it's a good number. Um, great numbers on the show. Okay, so George Springer over one and a half total bases tonight. That's plus money. Of course it is because yeah, if he gets right one now. hit, they yeah. should award you a free win. <laughs> um, under eight and a half in the Rays and Yankees game and then over four and a half in the first five innings of the Blue Jays game. When you parlay that together, it is plow. Plus 775. Have a day. Let's have a day. Let's have a great Monday. Cash that in. And tomorrow is the trade deadline, 6 p.m. We'll have lots and lots of coverage on our station today and tomorrow. I believe we'll have a different schedule uh, for the show, uh, for the lineup tomorrow to make sure everybody's set for the trade deadline. Uh, We'll be back, though, uh, bright and early for you. Uh, Big game tonight. Big series ahead with the Baltimore Orioles. And then, as we said, the Red Sox looming in the distance. We might see. Jordan Hicks tonight. You think we'll see him? Uh, I think the game will dictate whether or not. Did he get uh, on a plane him. last night? I hope uh, so. I saw he was uh, he was technically on the minors uh, right now, part, portion of the forty man. So they will have to uh, squiggle some things around there. But just Do given some squiggling, given the way everybody was taxed this weekend, including all your high leverage guys, including Jimmy Garcia and not Jordan Romano because he's not available. If he's at all, if he's at all in the vicinity, I'd imagine he, he gets in the game. I think so. And maybe tomorrow we'll have more Blue Jays trades to talk through. Uh, everybody sent their wish list in, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of right-handed bats and a lot of bullpen help that folks wanted here in the text line. So maybe we can make your dreams come true. Maybe. Somehow. Hall of notes, we'll baby. Will it to happen? Um, all right. That was it for Gunner and I. Thanks for coming on. We'll be back tomorrow morning on the Fan Morning Show. Have a great day, everyone.